just be with the Lord together and to know his presence with us. And I pray that that may just continue as we look into his word now. And we're going to be uh, looking into uh, the Bible as uh, usual, and it's in Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4. That's on page 6, if you're looking at one of the Bibles uh, nearby. And uh, if you've been around for a a week or two, uh, you may uh, know, but I'll tell you if you've forgotten or if you're new today or just come back from somewhere, welcome, if that's the case. Um, We're we're looking in these uh, few weeks into some of the early chapters of the Bible, the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And uh, it's in the book of Genesis, and as we've already seen, these chapters, these bits of the Bible just really tackle some, some huge questions that we have as human beings. You know, the, the big questions of the meaning of our existence. Why are we here really? And, and where did we come from? I suppose the big question, why are we like the way we are as human beings? I don't know whether you ever wonder about that. I suppose you don't perhaps. But, but it is a question. Why, why are we like us? <laughs> what makes us human? Because uh, you don't really have to be that, that analytic or, or insightful to realize that, that human beings are wonderful, amazing creatures, aren't we? We can do some wonderful stuff. Uh, I, the, the writers of the Doctor Who kind of franchise often pick that up. Doctor Who is often given words to say that I love the human race. The human race is just fantastic. And, blah, blah, blah. and, and it's a kind of, that, 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 that's, that's part of the Bible's picture too, of it, this glorious creature that God has made us to be. That's not what Doctor Who believes, obviously. But, but that's the kind of spirit of it. But also, we're flawed and we sometimes think to ourselves, why, why, why is it like this? It somehow shouldn't be like this. It kind of doesn't seem to quite fit. And Genesis, uh, it, this ancient text, gives us pointers uh, through these powerful epic accounts that speak right into our lives in, in just an, an amazing way as we've read them, as we probably noticed and I hope we'll see today too. And they particularly speak to us about our place before God. And a couple of weeks ago or three weeks ago we saw how human beings are are indeed the best of God's creation, made in his image to be in relationship with him. And the first pair of human beings as we know them anyway uh, are placed in this wonderful perfect you know everything is as it should be type of environment you know remember that old song you know it's just a perfect day remember that that the the BBC picked it up this idea of everything is just just great just right just perfect it's a wonderful place and they're in this environment that they're they're made to be in relationship with one another and we saw that 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 the male and the female in this kind of perfect very good relationship in relationship with the created world and that's good as well and in relationship to the Lord God who shares their lives there's that picture we saw last week of of somehow God being with them the call of the day at the end of the day kind of saying how's your day been perhaps we don't quite know but it's that picture almost in passing the writer says the the Lord God used to walk in the garden at the call in the call of the day it's just a little few phrases but you think whoa what 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 does that tell us 
about how wonderful it was. It's good, it's wonderful. And they're in, in this kind of wonderful park, which is also a kind of temple, a kind of sanctuary, because God is there. And, and in some way, heaven and earth are kind of connected in this place that, that the writer of the Genesis, of Genesis calls Eden. And it's got this tree of life at the center, as, and as well as that other tree that we heard about last week. And in that wonderful place where, where heaven is, all, is so close and there, there, there's this relationship with God in this perfect environment, in this great relationship, they're given the freedom to choose a life that trusts God, living with him. And then last week we saw that actually they chose not to do that. They start believing that God's holding them back, that he doesn't want the best for them. And they decide that they would really rather choose for themselves what's right or wrong. Thank you very much. They'd rather listen to another voice. And we saw the story of what happened last week. They want to be gods for themselves. And it all gets broken. Their relationship with each other, their relationship with creation, and their relationship with God. It all starts to change. Something in each of those dimensions begins to die. And the world becomes a very different place. Just as God said it would. So that was a, kind of where we got to. That's the story so far. So let's see what happens next. It's in chapter 3, verse 20. Um, it's uh, in a way, I kind of wish we were back in, you know, the beautiful part before now. But we're not. This is where we live. And we'll see that actually there's some important stuff we can learn uh, in this, let's see, verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. 
you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, which means wandering, east of Eden. So this next section um, sees the, the human couple out of this garden temple place away from the direct presence of God. Now, it's, it's interesting, up until now, you, you could easily have read this, this whole section uh, as if it were just simply a story explaining how things are in our lives using figurative language and so on. And certainly there's an element of that kind of language in the story. But as Genesis goes on, we see that, that what happened there connects into the life story, as it were, of the human race as it goes on, as it develops. So humanity as we know it develops and because, and it's kind of connected to these other events. And I think because of that, you can't take it seriously as just a myth or just a story. It's much more than that. And in this section, we, we see it all working out in the lives of these, this family. But the, the, the bit we're going to look at does answer quite an interesting question. At least I think it's an interesting question. Forgive me if you don't. But, um, you know, we could be thinking, well, okay, we've heard about Adam and Eve. That's what they did. You know, what's that got to do with me? So they made a mistake. Hey, you know, that's their problem, isn't it? Well, actually, what we see in this next bit is, is that actually it wasn't just their problem because something that the results of the choice they made kind of begins to affect those who come from them. It also tells us that it's not just about their personal spiritualities, kind of what went on between them and God in that choice they made and so on. They could all be boxed off and, and left there thinking, oh, well, that's okay, that's all over there. We'll just, we'll just park that for a minute, shall we, and live on our lives and see whether it's okay. No, we see in this story that, that, that actually what, what happened over there kind of comes out in their family and in, as the human race goes on, in actually a rather terrifying way. Their family is touched in a terrible, terrible way. And Genesis is telling us that what, what drives that disaster as it gets worked out in the human race is linked to what happens with Adam and Eve in that garden. And no, we're not in a garden now. We're not in, if you like, whatever that, that picture is. There is no kind of talking snake. There is no, no tree of, of life or good and evil. We're out of that place. But, but what, we're, we're into the rest of history or whatever. And yet the effects of it are kind of seem to be on and on and on. Right up to where we come in today. Because as we see the story unfolding... The issues are the same. There's, there's a, you can just see, even in the English, and at a superficial kind of reading of it, what happens between uh, Cain particularly and the choice he makes and the conversation he has with God and the questions that are asked and, and what, etc., has a striking parallel with what went on last week 
in the Garden of Eden. It's the same kind of thing, the same story, in a sense, being worked out again. Anyway, three things I want to say about it. The first thing is, is really, also, this sounds a bit grim, doesn't it? Sorry if it sounds grim. It is a bit of a grim story, but it is not entirely grim. That is not the whole story by any manner of means. The first thing I want us to notice is that God is at work limiting the damage. You see that in verses 21 to 24 of chapter 3 there. Despite everything that's happened, despite the choice that the uh, the human couple have made, God is still at work. We read here that the Lord God made. He is still the Lord God. He's still the creator and he's also the Lord, the one as we saw a few weeks ago, that special name that spoke of his willingness to be in relationship with the human race and, and involved in our history. He is still the Lord God. What they've done hasn't changed that. There have been some terrible changes. There have been some incredible or or difficult things going on. But the Lord God, he's still the creator. He's still the Lord. And he he makes something, just like he did in Genesis 1. And what does he make? He makes clothes out of skins for Adam and Eve. Now, isn't what's that about then? We saw that, that promise last week that uh, Lou re- reminded us, this hint that, that there'd be uh, a war on between um, the descendant of the woman and the source of evil, as uh, symbolized by the snake, and that one day the descendant of the woman would destroy the evil one. There was hope there, wasn't there, last week? Now, when um, Adam names Eve his wife, uh, what does he call her? Eve means living. It's interesting. They've just been given the death sentence, but he calls his wife living. Have they already got the message that actually God's made a promise and that the death sentence won't be the end of everything? Possibly, we don't know for sure. But God makes something. He makes them clothed. He covers them. An animal has to die for it. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, do you know those phrases sometimes we sing choruses? He has, he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. Is that from Isaiah? In the New Testament, it talks about how we're clothed with Jesus if we're rescued by him. The, 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 the kind of language of being clothed by God has that idea of God providing something. God covering them. God kind of helping them. God hasn't abandoned them at all. They're separated from him. Their relationship with him has died. But God hasn't said, okay, that's me. I'm out of here. You're on your own from now on, guys. Is he? Not at all. More than that, he says something. Just as he done, the Lord God made something. The Lord God says something. What does he say? Well, it's a bit of a difficult phrase to kind of translate, so I'm told, by the Hebrew scholars. Because verse 22 It's actually half a statement. It's a half sentence, which is very unusual in such a well-put-together account. Uh, And God kind of starts off with this discussion saying, hey, we need need to limit man from now on. Uh, And the experts tell us that, that it seems to have in it this idea that God is going to kind of eject the human couple from his immediate presence. Actually, there's a sense of it for the couple, the human race's own good. 
Because it seems as if in this conversation, there's this dialogue and the Lord is saying, we need to get them out of here (laughs) before something kind of worse happens almost. If in this state, says the Lord, they're going to take the tree of life and live forever in that sense, that's going to be problematic. I don't quite know why it is. You might have some ideas. But that seems to be what's being said here. Because he's noticed the tree of life is not removed. It's not destroyed. It's not, well, there's no tree of life left for the human race anymore. No, not at all. And in fact, in, in Revelation, at the end of God's story, and at the end of everything God's done in bringing the human race back, what do we have in heaven but the tree of life? But what's happened here is that the way to that tree of life is now barred. They can't get there that way. doesn't mean they're not get there another way. And there's this, this cherubim. Nobody really knows what a cherubim was. Till I started reading, I, I thought it was just a regular angel. But it seems that cherubims, whatever they are, are some amazing creature. that They certainly have wings, but they're, they're tough dudes. You know, they're like the, the kind of security guards of heaven. You don't mess with cherubims. And these, this one's got a flaming sword. The, the Hebrew talks of lightning flashing back. It also talks of it flaming all around in circles. I always think of a lightsaber, you know, it's a bit like a kind of Star Wars fanatics. Whether it went zoom, zoom, a lot, I don't know. But this idea that you can't get there anymore. These awesome angelic or creatures or whatever they are are guarding the way. Not that way. It's not going to be possible. But the point is this. We see this picture of God's goodness, don't we? He, you know, what do you think he could have done? He could have just, that's the end. Wipe out the human race for good. Let's start some, let's start again. But no, not at all. God loves the world so much. He loves us. He doesn't abandon the human race. He doesn't give up on them. He's already starting to do something about it. Limiting the damage. Providing for this couple even as they go into exile. This is what God is like. Have we got that? Yeah, sometimes we read these stories and, we, and we've already got a predetermined picture of this horrible God. You know, we're believing what the, what the serpent said to Eve, that he's not good. He doesn't want the best for you, blah de blah de blah We believe that stuff, but and we think, no, God is, you know, we take on the Dawkins thing, that, you know, the, the, the new atheists who say God is horrible if he exists. I don't want that kind of God. The Bible hasn't got that kind of God. The Bible has a God who loves us. Sure, he, he leaves us with the uh, consequences of our decisions and, and judgment comes to us but he does everything to enable us to come back to him second point i want to make is that well in chapter four let's go into chapter four we still we see that life goes on life goes on and you know as you notice it happens again adam and eve have a family we read of two sons in particular cain and abel at this point These sons have got lives to lead. One's a farmer, that's Cain. The other one's a shepherd, looks after animals. And these two sons end up making choices. They both appear to want God's blessing on their life. They want to know the fulfillment that comes from from knowing God with them. And so they make offerings of worship. And Cain brings stuff that he's grown. And Abel brings uh, the firstborn or the best bits, the kind of fat bits of a, uh, he basically kills one of his firstborn, the firstborn of his flock, and brings it as an animal sacrifice. 
And God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but he doesn't accept Cain's. And we don't know really how this worked out. I mean, you can read the rest of the Bible into it if you want. And it's clear that right through the Old Testament, God says it's the, it's the life that's given that enables people to come to me. You know, it doesn't take uh, those other kinds of things. But we don't really know at this point. But what we do know is that Cain gets very angry uh, and is overwhelmed by, by jealousy of his brother. And, and uh, you can think, well, what's wrong with Cain? He's indignant. He, he's not good enough, he thinks. He thinks it's all about him. He thinks, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm as good as my brother. Actually, Cain, the word Cain means... Uh, uh, help and it has an idea of strong and the, the, the strong is a strong name um, but the able is a bit of a weaker name it's a bit like you know fleeting and it some some of the commentators suggest that maybe Cain, you know Cain was a big tough guy and Abel was a bit you know a bit of a wimp possibly uh, and and it could be that Cain is thinking you know why, why is, look at me, I'm Cain, I'm the firstborn. You know, why doesn't God accept my stuff? My, you know, my wimpish brother, he can't even grow a carrot. All he can do is look after animals kind of stuff. God won't accept, well, accept him. He's good enough for God. Why can't I be? It could be that. We don't really know. But the point is that Cain wanted to just get what he wanted from God by doing what he thought was the right thing, which was in fact his thing. He wanted God to kind of accept his stuff, basically, his way. And there's a conversation, like the conversation in the Garden of Eden, but now not between the serpent. It's a much more positive conversation with God. Nobody's trying to tempt Cain, but God speaks to Cain, trying to kind of get him away from from the danger that he's kind of encroaching into. Look at the conversation. The Lord says... Cain, you can make a choice. You, the right way is Abel's way. It's nothing to do with Abel being better than you. It's just that he's come the right way. You can come his way. Do that, and it will be fine. But you see, Cain doesn't want God to tell him what to do. He wants to kind of determine it for himself. He wants to be the kind of God, or he wants to kind of tell God what God should do. He wants to be the kind of one in control of his life. He wants to be the God. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Eve and Adam wanted? And God warns him. He says, look, if you turn your back on this way, says God, he says, then sin is going to happen. Now, this is the first mention of sin in the Bible. First time it's mentioned. It's not mentioned in the, the previous bit. But here God says to Cain, sin is going to get you. It's like an animal. It's like a lion. You know, you see these pictures on, you know, lions kind of crouching down and they're waiting at their, their kind of shoulders are ready and they're going to pounce on some hapless gazelle or whatever it is. Or you may have seen your cat in the garden doing similar stuff. And that's the picture. God says to Cain, look, if you carry on this way, there's, a, there's something like a wild animal out there that will pounce on you and destroy you and by the way it's called sin and Cain ignores the Lord's warning he explodes into rage he kills his brother Abel the lion pounces on him it's terrible and what happens next the Lord again asks him a question where's your brother remember that question in the garden of Eden Adam where are you now it's Cain where's Abel and Cain says 
Well, I don't know. He lies. Actually, he says, because Abel's a shepherd, and he, he actually kind of cracks a bit of a joke at God. He kind of says, well, am I supposed to be the shepherd's shepherd? That's kind of what he's saying. And God says, Cain, man up. The blood of your brother is screaming to me from the ground that it landed on. It's a kind of metaphorical comment, isn't it? And that, that, that word, and, and God says, what have you done? Like he said to the first couple, what have you done? And that, that idea of the blood crying out is like the scream of someone in great trouble, in great danger. It's actually used elsewhere in the Old Testament when someone is, is, is raped and they cry out and they scream out. And God says, the blood of your brother is, is screaming out like that to me. I cannot ignore it. It matters that you've killed him. His life matters to me. And I'm going to hold you accountable. God cares about evil and injustice. God cares about shed blood. God cares about stuff like this. He's saying you can't just carry on as if nothing happened. It did. And Cain is cursed. He's more than Adam and Eve, actually. Adam and Eve themselves are not cursed in the previous bit. But Cain is. And Cain is told that now actually the ground's not going to... Already the ground was a bit of, in rebellion. But for Cain, he's not going to... The one thing he could do <laughs> really well was do gardening. That's going to be impossible for him now. And he's, his, his sentence is to be a wanderer. So that's the second bit. Life goes on, but the, what, what happened with Adam and Eve kind of continues again. It's about choices. It's about who's going to be at the center of your life. Are you going to go God's way or your way, he says. Third and final thing I want us to see as well. You see, the Lord has warned him. The Lord tells him that there is a choice. The Lord offers revelation to Cain. The Lord gives Cain kind of understanding and says, Cain, don't do it. Don't go that way. You see, the third thing I want to say is that God is still involved. God is still gracious there. God is still patient with this family, with our race. And it seems that Adam and Eve and their family, and I guess there must have been many more, I think many more than, uh, than Cain and Abel. Obviously, there must have been. Um, but they, we're highlighting these two uh, that have been taken out for, into the account here. That they knew something of God's presence. But Cain is banished from, from them and from God's presence with them. He says, isn't he, I will be hidden from your presence. He says, this is unbearable. He says, I'm going to be killed. He's terrified. So again, what does God do? He limits the damage. He says, no, you won't be killed, Cain. I'm going to put a mark upon you. I will make sure that you needn't be afraid. Yet yeah, you will be a restless wanderer. But it's not the end of the story. How kind God is in that sense. That while he's going through his sentence, he's still treated kindly. It's interesting, isn't it? I wasn't going to say this, but you know, lots of us talk about you know, how, how do we treat, treat prisoners, you know, uh, you know, the whole issue of human rights and people going through sentences and so on. God is very much saying, your sentence is this. But I will limit, you know, I will limit the, 
effect of it for you. Sentence isn't lifted, but God is gracious in his justice. So the narrative, and the narrative, as we read on, we'll see next time, or the time after next, that, that Cain continues living a life, and actually lots of good stuff about the human race come out of Cain's kind of descendants, and uh, we'll see all about that next time. So we see three things then, don't we? We see how God limits the damage. We see that despite that, life still goes on, and the, the human race continues in the, along the line that, that it began with. That it wasn't just about Adam and Eve in some kind of far off mysterious place. It keeps on coming through into life as we know it. And thirdly that yet God is still involved. So what do we take from this? What could this all have to do with us? Well a few things really. Don't you think that that key choice that uh, Adam and Eve made. uh, Lou reminded us of last week is here again in front of us. It comes out in Cain and Abel. We have the freedom to choose. And in the rest of humanity, are we going to be God for ourselves? Or will we recognize that we need God's help? We need God's help to know the way to meet those deep needs that arise from our humanness. As human beings, we have these deep needs, don't we? That kind of get expressed sometimes in in our relationships, in our desire for stuff, in, in terms of spirituality, in terms of all kinds of things that come out of our, our humanness. And how are we going to meet those needs? You see, we are made, aren't we, for fulfillment in our humanity. We're made to know joy in life, to know meaning in work, to know significance in the world, to know richness in relationships. And the question is, will we grab that for ourselves, take it because we want it, kind of worship anything in order to kind of meet our human needs ourselves and kind of grab whatever we can? Or are we going to say, no, I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to admit that to get my human needs met, I need something from God. I need to trust him. Are we going to worship God or other things. That's the, the kind of issue that Cain faced. He, he wanted to worship God in Yeah, but he wanted, really, he wanted to worship his own kind of stuff. When God said, no, don't do it that way, do it that way, he said, oh, I'm out. oh no, I can't do that. And something terrible happened. So we need to accept that we need God. Are we going to do that? Are we going to go for like Cain did, for a, a kind of DIY version in which we make something and we worship that, or we come across something and we worship that, or we have heroes in our culture and we worship that, or we have a load of stuff and we worship that, or, or we think that we're really marvelous as human beings and we worship that. You know, we worship anything, really, except what God kind of asks us to do, to acknowledge him. That was Cain's problem. He couldn't cope with not being in charge of how to get God's blessing. And I wonder whether sometimes, even as believers, we can be like that. We can get get a a bit grumpy about God, can't we? He doesn't kind of meet our needs in the way that we think he should. (laughs) And so we kind of think, well, well, I hope we don't go out and kill anybody as a result of it. But, you know, you can see that thing in our hearts that sin is crouching at the door. That's one thing we can take from it. 
And you know, this tendency that we have, which the Bible eventually goes on to call sin in us, is to ignore God and to push on in our own way. And, and God says that's where sin comes from. It's that desire to, you ignore the truth about God and you keep going in your own way and before you realize it, something has pounced on you. And it comes from not believing, not trusting God, choosing instead to believe a lie. And you can work it out in all kinds of different sin. Somebody uh, gave me some, some stuff to read. It's very helpful if I can pass it on to you if you're interested in it. You take, take a very kind of, you know, one of, I suppose, you know, the tabloid sins. Let's take pornography as an example, shall we? Lots of, uh, lots of guys in and out of the church. The statistics are to be proved, and some women too, find pornography a, a terrible kind of attraction. Now, why is that? This thing I read said this, and it was quite helpful, I think. It's attractive because we believe lies about God before we look at a porn site, actually. That's what's really going on in our head. Because what we're believing is that what God says about sex is a lie. That what God wants for us can't be good. That it's only a matter of time before we give in. And that if we've fallen before, it's inevitable that we will fall again. That it's impossible to resist and God won't forgive you anyway. All those kind of lies we take on board as we kind of become God and set the parameters for ourselves. And then because we're believing that stuff, it's very easy for sin to pounce on us. We believe lies about God. And that's true for all kinds of sin. You could try and work it out if you think of something else. Maybe something you're tempted by. Ignore what God says. Shift him from the center of our lives. Leave him out. Leave him out, leave him out of these choices. And sin is there waiting to pounce on us. So we need to keep our lives centered on God. Let's not fence things off. Because that's what Cain did. And that's what got him into trouble. And finally, sin leads us to a kind of banishment. And we have this idea of being banished, of, of wandering from home as Cain was. Now Jesus told a story, didn't he? Remember the story Jesus told about the young guy, probably, who uh, kind of banished himself from his home. He said, Father, I'm out of here. Give me the money I'll have it now. I'd rather you were dead, actually, so then I could have your inheritance. I know, don't die, just give me the money and I'll go now. It's in Luke chapter 15. And the man, the young man, goes to a far-off place and he realizes that he's in a state. He finds himself banished and he realizes that he could go back. And he turns to go back. And there was a father who is waiting for him. This father who he rebelled against is watching out for him. Jesus in his story says he sees him from a distance. You know, this, little, this guy is just a little speck in the distance and his father has been there looking. You know, I can see the back of the Safeway car park from here, if I crap. You know, far beyond there, twice the distance. He sees this and he recognizes his son and he starts running to meet him and to welcome him back. This is our Father, God. This is what he's like. And I wanted to end with this realization that this story of how sin comes into the human race and gets kind of really started, our first reference in the Bible to sin, is framed. It's like the middle of a sandwich and either side, in either bits of bread, 
are these two accounts of God's loving provision. Providing the skins, limiting the damage, and then providing Cain with even in his sentence something that will kind of protect him. This is the God that we worship. He welcomes us back. He's going to continue working on his purposes to bring the human race back to himself. So let's respond to him as we get the whole picture. Let's be careful that sin doesn't pounce on us. But let's remember that wherever we are, God wants to welcome us back as we turn and trust him for ourselves. Let's respond as we continue in worship and praise.